Austin Oaks Church family. So glad to see you. Name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. That was last week. Um, I want to say good morning to those of you who are streaming online with us this morning. So glad to have you as well. I um, want to spend a few moments before we get into the Word and, and, and asking the Lord to move in our hearts. Um, I think it's important for us just to give thanks and to remember that it is Memorial Day weekend. Um, and so just want to give thanks to any of you or have friends or family who serve in the military. Thank you so much for serving. But we also spend time this weekend remembering those who gave their lives for our country so that we can have the freedoms that we have here in America. So we want to honor that and thank you for those who serve. So if there is anybody who has served in this room, we would love just to be able to honor you. So would you please stand so we can thank you for your service. Very, very thankful for all of you. Um, also, the second thing I, I need to do and want to do and must do and all that kind of good stuff is give you guys an update on something that is um, important for us as a church family as well. So I'm going to ask Miss Molly Martin to come on up. Um, Molly, I've known Molly since she was an 18-year-old college student. When I was the college pastor, I had the joy and privilege to infect her life in many, many ways. And so Molly is truly uh, a member. Oh, this is not going to be easy. Um, Molly's called to go back to Minnesota. And so she has been a significant blessing to Austin Oaks Church for the last three years. It was such a joy. I knew immediately when I left Pleasant Valley Church, she was an intern and one of the best interns we had at the church. And I wanted to do everything in my power to hire her when I was up at Pleasant Valley Church. But we didn't have the budget for her. So when God called me to Austin Oaks Church, I immediately went, Molly, I got a job for you. Because I knew she would be so influential in the church because she's an amazing woman of God. God has done so much in her life and in her heart, and she has truly shaped the culture of Austin Oaks Church in the last three years. So if you've ever got to meet Molly, which I know you have, you would resonate with that, that she is a tremendous, tremendous person who loves the Lord. And it is really with an honor that we are able to bless you. I've been, it's so hard because like all week, in the last few weeks, I've been joking with her. I'm like, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep you here. Or like even at the staff meeting, I was like, like we were going to pray for Molly, but the reality was we say, actually, Molly, we need you to pray for us. And so, but I, I, in all seriousness, I wanted to read this passage over you. And then we're going to pray for Molly because when, as I was thinking about this time, this is the passage that stuck in my heart for you. Paul, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, we always thank God for all of you. Making mention of you constantly in your prayers or recalling the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord has rang out from you. Molly, you are a, such a tremendous blessing. Thank you for being faithful and saying yes to the Lord, even in saying yes to the Lord and going back up north. So church, I want to encourage you, if you could pray with me, just kind of extend your hand and pray a blessing over Molly. She is leaving, moving, packing bags, and leaving on Tuesday of this week. And so this would be an opportunity to give her hugs and all that kind of stuff. And so let's pray and bless Molly as she takes her next step of faith. 
Lord, I'm so thankful for Molly, so thankful for the opportunity to do ministry together. Lord, so thankful for all of the people that she has blessed, all the connections that she has made, helping people take their next step of faith and obedience to following you. She truly is a person who embodies what it means to meet, know, and follow Jesus. So Lord, we are honored and thankful as a church to be able to walk alongside with her, to, to benefit from her presence and her obedience. So Lord, now we ask for your hand of favor, your hand of blessing to be upon Molly as she takes this next step. And we know, Lord, that you're going to use her in tremendous ways, in mighty ways. And so God, would your, would your peace that surpasses all understanding guard her heart and her mind, knowing that she's being faithful and obedient to you. So Lord, we are thankful as a church thankful for who you've called her to be and made her to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's give her a hand. I need a moment. Is that what it's like to send your kids off to college? Okay, week two of this series, looking at true worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to come back to kind of the basic premise where we started last week and we were starting to ask some of these questions like, why are we even in this series? Like, why are we spending time and hitting the pause button from the Gospel of Luke to talk specifically about corporate worship? Why is this important? Well, we remembered last week, looking at a psalm, that God is enthroned. He makes his throne on the praises of his people. Another way of saying that in the Hebrew is that he inhabits the praises of his children. Worship, especially together in a corporate setting, is extremely important. It's a gift that God has given his people to remember who he is, and then rightly so remembering who we are in light of who he is. Worship is so significant. When we gather together in worship, it isn't just something we do for one hour a week, sing a few songs, got away for the main course, hear the word, get it done over so we can get out of here and get on with the rest of our day. This is a significant part of the rhythm of what it means to follow Jesus. When we look at scriptures, we see over and over and over how worship is the fuel for mission, how worship is the fuel for discipleship, how worship sets the tone and the page for everything else we do in our life. Think about it. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's worship. That's worship. And to employ the heart and the soul is to engage in our affections and in our emotions and to engage with the mind and our strength is to think rightly about God and then to begin to live rightly. Worship sets the stage for everything else. And I know, I know that when we talk about this, specifically corporate worship, it stirs the waters. I know because I got emails, right? And it's a good thing. We need the waters to be stirred because, let's just be honest, a lot of times we're complacent in our worship. We get so used to doing a certain things a certain way. And we oftentimes, because we're all sinful and we're all selfish, we have this gravitational pull to want to make this time about us. 
We're fearful of some things in worship. We, we're fearful of some of these conversations like, okay, we're going to talk about emotions. No, we can't have emotions in church because we don't want them to deceive us or to manipulate us. But how can we talk about God and not be moved by our emotions? Sometimes we're afraid to mention the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, because he is a mystery and we don't fully understand it. And even Jesus says he's like the wind. You don't know where he's coming or how he blows, but the Holy Spirit is alive and active. In fact, Jesus was so excited to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father so that when he would go, he would send the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we would do greater things. And it's through the Holy Spirit we would know more of God. And the more we know of God, the more we worship God. But yet we have our preferences, our paradigms, our presuppositions, our, our background, our, our way we grew up in church. We're used to certain things. And so we also have our fears like of being a, a very, very stoic. We don't want that. We got to have some joy in the church. Too. We don't want to bring in the over-emotional stuff because we know how far they can go and all that kind of stuff. And we muddy the waters, but we need Scripture to stir the waters of our hearts. We need to come back and to understand something clearly that we're going to talk about today. That the Father is actually seeking, intentionally seeking, looking for true worshipers. Have you ever thought about that? That God in heaven, when he looks at the earth, he's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for true worshipers, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And we gotta be okay with the Holy Spirit stirring some of these waters of our hearts. Last week, we looked at Leviticus chapter nine and how at that moment when the first corporate worship service happened, that fire came from heaven, which was a sign of God's acceptance of their sacrifice and their offerings, and, and they shouted for joy. Because God is showing favor to them. God is accepting them, even in light of idolatry. Even in light of their rampant rebellion, God moves towards them. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the offering, consumes the sacrifice, and they shout for joy. Uninhibited praise. Like, oh my goodness, God, I can't believe you would do this. Just shouting for joy. And at the same moment, they realize, whoa, this is fire falling from heaven. God is holy. That fire shouldn't be consuming the offering. It should actually be consuming me. And they fall face down in worship. And that was the tension of worship. That tension still exists today when we come together in the church of Jesus Christ. We should be people who shout for joy. There should never be a Sunday when we walk into these doors that we are not shouting for joy. Either overtly or internally. Joy has to be the posture of worship. Because when we come in here, we remember Jesus died for my sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took my shame and my guilt upon himself when I deserved only wrath. We come and we remember that. How can we not shout for joy? How can we just come into worship and be so unmoved by it? And yet, at the same time, that tension goes, the one who created everything everything, who spoke everything into existence, the living word, the son of God, he came down, took on flesh, took my sin. There's a sense of, that's the tension of worship. 
So when we come on a Sunday morning gathering together, we have to ask ourselves the question, how have we prepared for worship? Where's our heart as we come in? Do we make it about ourselves? Or do we make it about him? And the best way to answer that question is, are you coming to bring something or are you coming to get something? Because if you're coming to get something, more often than not, you're using this time for yourself. But if you're coming to give something, your life as a living sacrifice or a sacrifice of praise to God to ascribe to him glory and honor and the praise that's due to him, then that's worship. We have to wrestle with those questions. This time together is about him. It will only be about him. And that's why we say it's simply about Jesus. We don't want it to make it about anything else. But guess what? God is so good that when we make it about him, he blesses us. And so we receive the joy that he gives us. And then we can somehow take that and be like, well, no, I want the blessing. I want the blessing. And then we can leave the presence of God behind because we just want the blessing. But this morning, we're going to ask the question and answer the question, what is God looking for? What is God worthy of? And so before we get into God's word, I want to encourage you, turn with me to John chapter 4. And as you do that, I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And I ask that it's your spirit that speaks clearly. Lord, would you turn water into wine? Would you take my words and, and, and transform it into something that only you can do to get into the hearts? Lord, I pray that you would stir up the affections of our heart today through your truth. Would you give us another glimpse of who you are? Help us to understand the beauty of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with the meditations of our heart and our mind. So, Lord, we say, here we are. Speak. We are here to listen. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. I wanted to start this message by sharing with you a quote from Karl Barth that struck me this week. And his quote is this. Christian worship is the most momentous most urgent, most glorious action that can take place in human life. I'm going I'm to repeat that. It's, it's just so good. Christian worship is the most momentous, the most urgent, the most glorious action that can take place in human life. In other words, worship is the highest function our souls could ever be engaged in. And if that's true, then it has to be of great importance for us to know how we must worship. If worship is the highest function, the highest thing that we could ever be about, it is so important for us to understand the type of worship that God is looking for. In John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, when Jesus encounters her, is so much more so much more than just an evangelistic message. 
It's so much more than two cultures, uh, cultures clashing because Jews don't go through Samaria, especially they don't interact with women, especially at noon. They don't interact with women who've been engaged in adultery, all that kind of stuff. But here's Jesus, the Son of God, the rabbi, coming, engaging with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he asks her for a drink of water. And she's like, well, you don't have a bucket. And he goes on this conversation. He's like, if you would have known who I was, you would have asked me for some water. And I would have given you living water. And all of a sudden, the conversation takes a sharp turn. To what she's probably, actually, we know that she's not ready for. Jesus goes, go call your husband. To which she went. And she's like, Basically, Jesus lays out, I, I know your heart. I know your sin. The husband you're with right now is not your husband. In fact, you've had a few husbands in your past. And then she replies in verse 19. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. She noticed something different about him. He's, he's not ordinary. He's, he's something other. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. What she just said is actually very profound. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. You're from God. You're sent from God. Samaritans understand all of this. Samaritans only believe in the Pentateuch, the first five Bible or five books in the Old Testament. They don't believe in the whole canon of the Old Testament. So they understand how God sends messengers, prophets, to speak on, their, on God's behalf. She recognizes this and says, you're a prophet. And then she starts to talk about worship, which is a very peculiar thing. Like, why would she talk about worship? It's because now that she recognizes that he is altogether different, that he's sent by God, she wants to know the appropriate way to respond to God. So she asks a question about worship. And this isn't her deflecting or trying to change the topic because the topic is uncomfortable. She really wants to know how to respond rightly. And she's conflicted. She's like, we, we believe that Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worship, is the right place to worship. That's where Abraham gave his first sacrifice when he entered the promised land. And that's where all of the blessings and promises were shouted from when Israel entered the promised land. So Mount Gerizim is the right place for worship. But you Jews say that the right place of worship is in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. Which one is it? Which is the right one? Where's the right place to worship? What is the right form of worship? What is the right ritual of worship? I want to know how to respond rightly. That's what she's bringing up. And that is so fascinating that she would do that. She truly wants to know how to please God in worship. But yet she can't get out of the paradigm of what has happened. They've created this mountain is the right place of worship. Nope, this is the right place to worship. The church never does that, does it? No, this denomination is the right denomination. These denominations are the wrong denominations. No, this style of worship is the only way to do worship. No, 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 no. This way of worship is the right way to do worship. And we argue over which way is the right way. That's exactly what's going on here. And then people who truly want to worship, who truly want to know how to respond to what God has shown them, oftentimes leave confused. 
Jesus said to her, verse 21, woman, which is another way of saying dear lady. It's not like, you know, the way we would read that. Dear woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for the salvation is from the Jews. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit because we need to understand this in order for the rest of this to make sense. Don't fly over the word when Jesus says, believe me. What he's actually saying there is, I tell you the truth. And a lot of times we just go, okay, that's one of those phrases when Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you the truth, pay attention. But like actually think about what he's saying to her. I'm telling you the truth. Like believe me what I'm saying to you. Church, we need to hear God tell us the truth. We need to hear this and and praise God that it's his grace that he will say, believe me, I'm telling you truth. Would you respond to this truth? Because what I'm going to tell you is going to change everything to which we should say, praise God, because if God didn't change where we worship, we'll be going to Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. The hour is coming. The time is near. In other words, the hour is a reference to his death and resurrection and ascension to the Father when the Holy Spirit would come. The hour is coming when everything is going to change. The hour is coming. Oh, church, I'm telling you, we should love it when God tells us the truth. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts, even if it stirs the water in our hearts, we should be so excited and thankful that God shares truth with us. Because I'm telling you, God's word will always mess with our paradigms. Always. Because our minds need to be renewed. We need to see things rightly because that's how we worship. We can only worship what we know and we can only know to what God chooses to reveal to us. If God doesn't tell us the truth, then we can't worship. And that's exactly what he ends up doing here with, with the woman at the well. He's saying, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. He's not dogging her sincerity. Like you truly worship but you don't understand the full revelation because you, have, you don't believe in the full revelation. You only believe in this part of the Old Testament and you've discovered, discarded the rest. You don't know that the Messiah comes this. And she goes, but Jesus says, but we do know what we worship. That salvation is from the Jews. In other words, they have the revealed word of God, the plan of God. But yet he's not even saying that like all the Jewish people at the time are worshiping rightly because we already know they don't. In fact, Jesus oftentimes spoke real hard against the Pharisees and the way that they worship. What he's talking about is revelation. They worship what they don't know. We worship what we do know in terms of what's been revealed. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking that I think we can put ourselves into these two groups. I think when we look at the church today, we can see these two groups at play. Like there's a group one who worship what they don't know. Like they go to worship still. They go to Sundays. 
You know, their worship might be sincere, but they might just be going through the motions. I don't know. Maybe it's just all about the emotions. And I know that today there are some movements in the church where it's all emotion-based and all the stuff that they're doing can feel manufactured, it can feel fake, and feel hypocritical. And probably because if you dig deeper, you'll realize that it's actually not connected to the truth of God's word. They're worshiping what they don't know. They're worshiping what they feel or what they think. And a lot of times... We see this especially in culture today. I, I want to step on some toes, okay? Like it, today, like when we worship what we do, don't know, that's when we say, well, what I'm reading in Scripture rubs against what I feel is right, cultural sensitivity issues, other issues that are happening in our culture today. So therefore, I'm not going to believe in that, but yet I'll still worship God. That can't happen. That's worshiping what you don't know. That's me saying, well, this part of Scripture is not true. This part of Scripture is not true. This part of Scripture is not true. But then there's groups who worship what they do know. And I'm telling you, when you, when I, you know when I wrote that, I'm like, man, that just sounds right. That just sounds good. But if we took a deep dive into the Gospels, we understand clearly that just because you know the things doesn't mean you actually are worshiping. John 5, 39 through 40. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They know a lot. And it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I think we have that in the church. These two camps. But what we need to do is come back into this place where we're able to worship the way that the Spirit is moving within his children to worship him. Verse 23 of John chapter 4. But the hour is coming. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, I love that, circle that little phrase. I love that. Will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The time has come. Like, that, that's like all things change now. And I want you to notice key phrases. True worshipers, like I mentioned, in spirit and truth. And notice this phrase, the Father is seeking such people. I love, I love that Jesus dropped the true worship phrase. Because that's actually the debate. That's the tension that's happening in the woman's heart. Where is the right place to be a true worshiper? What is the right way to worship God to be a true worshiper? She's really conflicted. And Jesus says, none of that matters. None of that matters anymore. Location is obsolete. It's just a tool, a gathering place. Forms and functions and, and styles, they don't matter. I mean, we experienced this in COVID. I remember how many times I got emailed or called or just talked to about, Brandon, we can't have church now. What are we going to do? We, we can't, you know, shut down because we've got to have church. We've got to have church. We've got to have church. I'm like... I hear what you're saying. 
But because of this scripture, because of the Spirit of God, this is just a tool. This is just a vehicle. Like if we can't gather here, that doesn't mean church can't happen or that corporate worship can't happen. Because God is spirit. He's not connected to a location. He resides in the hearts of all who believe. And we experienced that. And so when we came back together, it was all the sweeter because it was almost like this reminder of what this was all about. There is, outside of this, no prescribed methodology of right worship. There is no prescribed liturgy. Like, you've got to do this. You've got to make sure you pray before this. You've got to make sure you have three, four songs before there. Don't you dare go too long. Don't repeat a chorus too long. Don't make it too dark. Don't make it too light. Don't make it too loud. Don't make it too soft. Don't make it this. Don't make it that. Like, there's, there's none of that. What Jesus, what scriptures teach because of the spirit of God, because of the gospel, is extreme freedom. Because <sighs> what matters is no longer the external display of worship. That's just religion. A lot of times we get ourselves wrapped up into that, thinking that the things that we do externally are pleasing to God. But what matters the most is the content of our worship, the heart of it all. That's what matters. True worshipers understand that it's about the content. It's about the heart. Those who worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It can't be a 60-40. 60% truth. 40% spirit, wait, I actually like 70% truth. We'll do 30% spirit just in case there wants to have some emotion. Can't be 80-20. Can't be 80-20. It's 100-100. It's 100-100. We can't, like, when, if you think of, like, one of those scales, like, worship's got to be this. Right here, 100% truth, 100% in spirit. It can't be one way or the other. So I want to ask you this question. What kind of worshiper are you? What kind of worshiper are you? It's important because the Father is looking for true worshipers. Now look at verse 24. And I want you to notice a four-letter word that screams at me. And I want it to scream at you. It's the word must. That's a heavy word. Must. This isn't open for negotiation. This is not debatable. It's like if you want to be the type of worshiper that God is looking for, you must worship in spirit and truth. In fact, total nerd alert right here. John, when he writes the Gospel of John, strategically uses this exact word only three times. And each time he's using it to make a significant emphasis 
This is the only t- there's only three times you'll see this word. You must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. You must worship in spirit and truth. Very strategic. Because those are the hallmarks of our faith. In order to understand this, you have to be born again. You must be born again. And the only way to be born again is when the Son of Man is lifted high. And if we want to worship Him in response, we must worship in spirit and truth. There's no other option. This is what God is looking for. Charles Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon, his quote on worship, and I want to throw this out there. He says this, God does not regard our voices. He hears our hearts. And if our hearts do not sing, we have not sung at all. The tension of worship, shouting for joy, falling face down. How we worship in spirit and in truth. The method you choose. And that's where it gets tricky. Because in a room like this, we're all different people. We all have different personalities. Some of us are more stoic. Some of us are more emotive. We have freedom. And I'll do it as long as it's in spirit and in truth. Truth has to come first. I tell you the truth. We need revelation. We need God to open up our hearts to understand him. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of who God is. And so it's so important for us to know God, to know who he is. Because we can't worship God in our own image. We can't make God. And we got to be careful that we don't exchange the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, worshiping idols. We worship God in truth. Like we choose as a worship team, and I, and I love that Seth does this too. He's like, we, we will not sing songs that are not rooted in Scripture. Maybe not verbatim, but you can see the principle in Scripture. And I love what Seth does. Sometimes if he brings up a new song, he'll email me the lyrics and ask me if I agree with it theologically. Like that's how serious it says. We want to worship in truth. Truth comes first. Worship, when the affections and the emotions are stirred, it's always because it's in response to truth. Now, I hear people say this like because they're a little bit shy and a little bit nervous of emotions. Like, I get it. I come from the north. We're Germans up north, and we're Scandinavians up north. We are very much this, very reserved, very reserved, skeptical of emotions, because we don't want manipulation. We don't want to be forced into anything. And rightly so. Even Paul says that in Corinthians. It's like, I came to you in fear and trembling. I didn't come to you in persuasive speech or in eloquent wisdom. Because I didn't want your faith to be resting on me. But I came to preach Christ crucified. So that your faith would rest on him. Truth has to be first and foremost. 
But if we say we are people of the truth and never allow the truth to actually stir in the emotions of our heart and the affections of our heart, and if we don't respond to God with emotions and affections, listen, you are actually not responding to truth. If you want to put yourself in the camp of truth, then your heart will sing. Your spirit that God has caused to reside inside of you and the spirit that is now alive in you wants to cry out to God, wants to give him glory, wants to express love and adoration regardless of how you feel. That's what happens when the truth gets in. And that's the balance. When Jesus said in spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about our spirit, our hearts, and our soul, the core of who we are. But listen, it's completely connected to the Holy Spirit because we can't worship in truth apart from the Holy Spirit. And we can't worship in spirit unless the Holy Spirit gives us the truth and moves our hearts to worship him. These are the worshipers that God is looking for. Those who will respond to God's truth and allow the truth of God to get into their hearts and stir up their affections and emotions regardless if you feel it or not and ascribe to him the glory that's due him. There are so many things in my head. I'm just like, okay, Lord, Holy Spirit, give me the filter. God created emotion. Jesus was very passionate. Emotion and passion is what drove Jesus to cleanse the temple. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He wept when he saw Jerusalem when they wouldn't receive him. For us to not respond in kind because it makes us feel uncomfortable or whatever, it's like that's not okay either. But that doesn't mean, now hear me, that doesn't mean like you have to be this person. Because you might be more of a German, Scandinavian, more reserved. That's okay. What matters is, is your heart singing. That's what matters. And are you here for him? Are you here for yourself? That's what matters. What is God looking for? He's looking for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. The heart has to respond to the truth. Matthew 15, 8. A smack to those Pharisees who knew God's word, who knew the truth but wouldn't come to him. Matthew 15, 8. The people honor me. These people honor me with their lips. And this is even back to the Old Testament. But their heart is far from me. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. Don't fight it. He wants to lead you to the truth. And he wants to move in your heart. I love that there's a mixture of people in this room. There's people in this room that only like fast songs. And there's people in this room that only like slow songs. There's people in this room that like contemporary. There's people in this room that would prefer traditional. And there's people in this room that would prefer natural. And there's people in this room that prefer this. And there's some people who would prefer more of the contemplative, the deep, 
feels, all the feels. Like we would, some people like that, and there's some other people like, no, give me the deep. It's like, it's a, it's a diversity. I love that. Because we create these constructs, with, well, what is true worship? And Jesus says, the Father is looking for true worshipers. It won't be on this mountain, and it won't be on that mountain. That doesn't matter. It won't be in this church or in that church. It won't be that denomination or that denomination. It won't be this musical preference or that musical preference. It doesn't matter what he's looking for. Will we worship in spirit and truth? So I want to give you an encouragement or a challenge, however you want to see it. For those of you who tend to be more of the stoic type, if you feel the spirit inside of you wanting to express emotion, Express affection. Do it. Don't withhold. I'm not saying that's the norm. Try it. And those of you who try or are like overly emotive, overly expressive, maybe try silence. Maybe try that moment where you remember, like it says in Ecclesiastes, you are Lord in heaven and I'm on earth. I'll let my words be few. It doesn't matter. It's all about the spirit. But my challenge to you is, will you respond to the Spirit's prompting? Here's a great embarrassing story for you. This will make you feel better. In Winona, there's this lake, kind of like a lake, uh, Lady Bird Lake with a trail. I don't know if it's Lady Bird Lake or whatever it's called. You know, that, that trail that's around there. Like, we have one of those in Winona and um, full of people, just like here, full of people to and fro, all this kind of stuff. And I was the college pastor at the time, and tons of college students were around. And I was just praying reading my Bible with the Lord. It's kind of dusk, so it's not like super bright, but it's not dark either. And I felt like God was stirring in my heart. I was reading a psalm, and I felt like God was saying, Brandon, would you kneel down and worship me right now? <laughs> I was like, no. There's people all over. I would look so ridiculous. Like, no. But he's like, am I worthy of it? And I went, uh-huh. And so <laughs> I did. I went like this. And I started acting like I was looking for stuff. I was like, I don't want people to see me. But then I felt like I was like, Brandon, would you raise your hands now? And I went, no. He's like, why not? Because I'll look stupid. He's like, so? Am I worthy? Uh-huh. <laughs> Did I feel anything in that moment? No, I felt embarrassment. But did I walk away knowing I was obedient? Uh-huh. I think sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to respond to truth. The hour is coming. It is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people. Worship reminds us I love this. Worship reminds us that we are not seeking God, really, but that he is seeking us. Worship reminds us that God is moving towards us because we can only worship if he moves first, if he loves first, if he reveals himself first. He's seeking that. What is God worthy of? Psalm 27, 8. 
you have said, seek my face. My heart, my spirit says your face, Lord, will I seek. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you speak truth to our inner parts. Your word is alive and active. Cuts right down to the quick. It purifies the motives. It reveals the motives. Lord, I thank you that worship is, cannot, is no longer connected to a place. It's no longer connected to a certain form. But it's about the content. It's about hearing the truth, knowing the word, and allowing that to get into our hearts. And then worshiping with our hearts, our core, our soul, in response to revelation. So, Lord, would you stir in our hearts a holy affection and desire for your son, Jesus? May we be captivated by Jesus, rooted in truth. Lord, because we know, just like you taught us, that the quality of our love is directly connected to how we worship you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And now overflow of that turns into loving your neighbor. So Father, I pray that in this moment you would meet us, you would stir in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name.